The first lesson today comes from Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 7, and verses 34 through 41. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings so that you may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into the mass and the clods cling together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their covert? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? The word of the Lord. Uh, That uh, story that uh, Chris just referred to from the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark when the disciples are jostling with each other about who gets to be second and third. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You ever been a parent and your kid comes up and says, if I ask you something, you'll say yes, right? Well, here they are. What do you want me to do for you, said Jesus. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup? I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with we can they answered Jesus said you will drink of the cup and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with but to sit at my right or left is no one not for me to grant these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared when the ten heard about this they became indignant with James and John Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first of all must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Turn your hearts, let us pray. O Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Grant us then by the power of your Spirit to the ears to hear those words. May all that is not of eternal life be quickly forgotten and set aside so you may cling to our hearts and make us your own. By the grace of Christ, amen. Well, when we last left poor Job, the wager between God and Satan had begun. 
God points out to Satan that Job is a pretty good guy. Satan says, yeah, but if you take everything away from him, he'll, uh, he'll turn his back on you like anybody else would. He's only a good guy because you've rewarded him so well. So God takes the bet, and the suffering begins. Job's children die, and he loses all of his wealth. And Job's response to that are, naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked, I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. So then Satan ups the ante and gives Job boils and sores all over his body. Job's wife tells him to curse God and get it over with so he can die instead of suffer. Job responds, and this is what we heard two weeks ago, shall we take the good from God and not the bad? The next section of the story Elphaz and the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite come and visit Job. Elphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Their comfort to Job is extremely bizarre. It's a little bit like you find out a dear friend of yours has been in in an accident and you're granted access to the intensive care ward And when you walk in, you see all the tubes and monitors and recognize that your friend is in great pain. And when you look at him, you say, wow, you must have done something really, really bad to deserve this. Well, that's the comfort that Job's so-called friends offer. They accuse him that because he's suffering so much, he must have done something really, really bad to deserve it. Job Job quickly points out to them, he calls them miserable comforters. If you're here to give comfort, you're really, really bad at it. Don't open your mouth anymore. Since he knew that God would not treat him harshly, patience and suffering is impossible, and the Creator shouldn't look so viciously at his own creatures to come against them with such force. Listen to Job's words from the seventh chapter. Do not mortals have hard service on the earth? Are not their days like those of hired laborers, like a slave longing for the evening shadows or hired labor waiting to be paid? So I have been allotted months of futility. Nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on, and I toss and turn until dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And they come to an end without hope. Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. The eye that now sees me will see no longer. You'll look for me. I will be no more. Like a cloud vanishes and is gone. Someone who goes down to the grave does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a monster of the deep that you put me under guard? I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint. Even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I prefer strangling at death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life. I would not live forever. 
Let me alone. My days have no meaning. What is mankind that you should make so much of them, that you give them so much attention, that you examine them every morning and test them every moment? Will you never look away from me or leave me alone for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, you who see everything we do? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sin? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. Bildad tells Job, stop talking like that. Stop talking like that. God is reasonable and just. Don't question God's ways. Job says, you don't know what you're talking about. If God is reasonable, then why am I suffering? This morning, it is my suggestion that that is the way that we look at the world around us very differently from the way that we look at our own suffering and circumstances. As Job continues to point out as the book unfolds, there are people out there who do not get what they deserve if righteousness is the trigger of joy And sinfulness is the trigger of pain. We drive through some neighborhoods and we are in awe, right? The houses, the yards, the amazing schools. These people must be smart, diligent, prudent in all their judgments. Some, sure, maybe bought their nice houses uh, with mob, mob money, but... But for the most part, they're probably the really smart crime bosses, right? Because look at how they did. Then you jump in the car and come with me into another neighborhood, and there is a precipitous drop in our evaluation of human quality. One of the reasons Jesus was crucified was the direct result of his not being impressed by people's circumstances. Last week, he rejected a request from a rich man to be his follower. He was not only a rich man, but he was a good man. He had kept the commandments his entire life. Except Jesus loved him and wanted him to release his grip on all those distractions so that Jesus could relate to him as an individual, not as someone of means. Jesus was always pointing out the deep value of the undesirables. The tax collector, Zacchaeus, blind Bartimaeus, an adulterous woman, Mary, the hooker, a homeless woman with internal bleeding. This reversed the way that the world was supposed to work. God's attention to humanity should be the result of good people being blessed and bad people being punished. Unless, of course, it's your pain, right? Your disappointment. Your rejection. Your bankruptcy. Your divorce. Your diagnosis. Job cries out not only about the absurdity of his own suffering, 
Job cries out for the unjust, unreasonable suffering of the world and concludes shaking his fist to heaven with the question, Where are you, God? Job's friends, Elphaz and Bildad, launch into several pages of poetry. It points out that God is, well, in the end, just complicated, too hard to understand until chapter 31 when Job turns to them and says, shut up. A new friend, Elihu, drops by to visit Job. Elihu is a young guy and thinks he can figure things out because he's still learning. I don't have your old way of thinking. I'm open to new ideas. He doesn't have the same prejudices as the older generation. And so he can see more clearly. And so he catches up on the conversation and offers that, well, wisdom comes from God. It's not something we can reason with ourselves. We have to ask God for wisdom, and then we will in the end all understand through our visions and through our dreams. Finally, in chapter 38, we hear from God. And i got to tell you that I find God's words profoundly unsatisfying. Basically, God answers all of their questions by playing the God card. A cosmic, you can't handle the truth. (laughs) You don't like things the way they are? Fine. Build your own universe and see how it works out for you. Job says in the end, you're right. I have no right to question you. I am still angry. But I retract. And I repent in dust and ashes. In the end, that's all I am. Ashes and dust. With that confession, God tells Job's friends that Job's prayers for them will save them. Job's helpless confession becomes Job's intervening righteousness. It's the point at which he completely gives up that God says he'll pray for you, his friends. For centuries that was the end of the book and I have to say it's still a little unsatisfying, is it not? At its core it is theater of the absurd. People suffer. Don't try to make sense of it. People succeed, and even when they do, guess what? They'll die. What's the point? If you grasp the absurdity, you are more insightful and righteous than those who don't. So the unsatisfying conclusion that existed for centuries, someone came along and tacked on a little ending where Job gets back all of his wealth, and he has more wives and more children and more land and more cattle, and and it goes on for three generations. He forms a company business, and he doesn't declare bankruptcy, and it's all wonderful. But even that is still pretty unsatisfying because it doesn't calibrate the period of extreme anguish. So he's rich again. He's moved from the homeless shelter to a beautiful colonial in Highland Park with eight bedrooms. Even with that ending, it doesn't make any sense. Except, except, because there is another character in Scripture 
that wrestled with the absence of God. I've not been reading the epistle lesson every week. I'm picking two out of three in order to keep the aerosols to a minimum time in the room. The sermon's a little longer because you looked especially robust this morning. But I want you to hear from the epistle marked for today from the letter to the Hebrews. Just a snip, chapter 5. The lecturer says every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on the people's behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's what priests do. And he is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is subject to the same weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. One is not presumed to take his honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. And so, Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who had sent him. As God said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save them from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he had suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God as a high priest. Job had cried out, Where are you, God? And there was another who cried out, Why have you forsaken me? In the larger arc of the scriptural story, the answer to Job is the participation in that same absurdity by God himself in Christ. Pointless suffering. Not suddenly rendered reasonable, but rendered unalone and unafraid. That in Christ even the most absurd injustice is shared by God. And being aware of it, its absurdity, being aware of its pain, being aware of its unjustifiable agony is where we happen to find God. Amen. Amen. And now in the unknowable uncertainty of it all, we in our human condition have to put it in some sort of organized fashion or we won't be able to hold on to it. And so join with me and speak the words of the ancient Apostles' Creed as our confession. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, 
the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. You may be seated.